1: Be kind to your mind and get these new tropic chews at com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease.
0: Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. Uh, I've, from the start, I will say this. I've done very little preparation uh, this week. Now, people out there will be saying, well, what, so what's new? But, of course, I'm in the thick of the Northern Ireland Open, commentating... For Eurosport And uh, I'm recording this between sessions So basically this week I'm going to go through some of the emails that have come in But as I said I'm not really uh, prepared that much So it could be a bit freeform uh, But anyway I'm going to go through them in the order that they've arrived First thing to say is I think uh, it's been a great start to the tournament It's been great to have Snooker back It's been a long wait as we know I thought Sunday was a terrific day We called it Super Sunday before a ball had been struck and it it, it borne out. I did the maximum uh, with uh, Mark, Mark Allen, of course, which was a very eventful break, very thrilling break. And uh, all the sort of big hitters won. It was uh, it was a terrific day. Monday, also a lot of interest there. Um, and uh, as I record this on Tuesday, we've already uh, had uh, wins for the likes of Mark Allen, Judd Trump today as well. So uh, I'm enjoying it and good to see a crowd back. And uh, just a sense the snooker season is sort of cranking back into life. And it's a big event as well, this um Northern Ireland Open, because obviously, you know, to win a tournament is great. £70,000 is great. You get in the champion of Champions. It'll probably get you in all three Kazoo Series events, World Grand Prix, Players' Championship, Tour Championship. Could get a player in the Masters who's not already in the top 16. It's also the first event of the Bet Victor Series. There's eight events there, and whoever wins the most ranking points from them gets another 150000 So in all sorts of ways, this tournament is huge, and uh, it's sort of kicking off the season again after a, what you might call a full start First email from uh, David Heaton He says Congratulations on podcast 173 A lovely relaxed conversation with Dave Tindall This was a couple of weeks ago He said there are a couple of points raised I'd like to add my own to worth." If the BBC are thinking of letting go Dennis Taylor and John Virgo to be replaced by younger people, they may like to think back to their rich heritage of voices that connect to certain sports. This list is not exhaustive, but who can forget ever hearing these folk speak so eloquently about their sports? Peter O'Sullivan horse racing, Peter Alice golf, Dan Maskell tennis, Murray Walker motor racing, Bill McLaren rugby, John Arlott cricket, James Alexander Gordon reading the football results on a Sunday. You only have to hear a tiny snippet of these voices to instantly recognise which sport they're connected with. Dave Tyndall's analysis of left-handers at the Crucible is interesting, especially after Neil Robertson's comments about how he feels cramped on certain shots there. Is there an adverse awkwardness for left-handers when playing shots from over the yellow or green pockets, depending on whether on table one or two, because they're too close to the player seats? Finally, a point of my own. There's been a lot of discussion over the number of frames played at a match, has anyone carried out statistical analysis looking back over matches of longer length, best of 19 or longer, to see if the victor would have won said match had it been best of 5, 7, 9, etc.? If not, perhaps you could ask Dave Tyndall to get on the case. Well, thanks, David. Uh, Dave Tyndall, he likes his stats, so maybe, maybe he will do that. Although he did, of course, uh, point, he messaged me to point out that, of course, uh, having done his stats on the best venues for left-handers, actually the one we're at now, the waterfront, they've all been won by left-handers, Mark Williams and then... Judd Trump as well, so 100%, actually the first year at the Titanic Centre, Mark King won it, so this event has favoured the left-handers. Well, yeah, I mean, you've listed some great broadcasters there, there's many more, I mean, obviously in snooker, in that era we had Ted Lowe, we had uh, Clive Everton, Jack Carnham for the BBC, John Pullman on ITV, Rex Williams, Mark Wildman, these sort of people, great names, um, I think, you know, the arguments... Everyone's got their own view on commentary and the old guard, whether they should make way now for the young guard or whether experience counts and that's, you know, it just depends on your point of view on that. In terms of um, the the Crucible, I mean, what Neil Robertson said about the Crucible was interesting, not shortening the matches, which I completely disagreed with, but it may be that just the configuration there, because it was, the, the, the Crucible uh, was renovated a few years ago. Maybe slightly tighter now. Maybe something they could look at just to try and create just a little bit more space. I mean, there's not going to be a lot that they can create, but definitely on, on playing issues, players are worth listening to. So definitely look into that. Uh, in terms of the your last question, uh, in terms of it's an interesting one. So say it's first to ten. Someone goes four 0 up. Obviously, a best of seven. In theory, they would have won, but I'm not sure it necessarily works like that because obviously, whatever the length of the match. The closer you get to the finishing line, the pressure comes on And certain players handle it better than others And so if it's a best of seven you Don't think necessarily that player who's 4-0 up in a best of 19 Will win 4-0, it might not work like that We've seen this in, you know, even the British Open Which is best of five, you know, players, once they got to two Struggle to get over the line But uh, as far as I know, there's no uh, sort of definitive analysis on that Um... So, Dave Tindall, if he's got, he's got a spare sort of six hours, <laughs> he might want to look into it. Uh, Ray Morgan writes, Given the comments you made about how there was a little transparency into why they changed the British Open into best-of-fives, I'm wondering what's with all the secrecy. It doesn't do the world-governing body of sport any favours. It was posted that Jamie O'Neill had withdrawn from the British Open, but the truth of the matter was it had been suspended. No mention of board member Peter Lyons being investigated for inappropriate behaviour that was witnessed by others. Extraordinary and in a qualifying match too. How much more don't we know? Well, <laughs> the thing about this is, you mentioned two points there Ray, uh, the Jamie O'Neill and the Peter Lyons thing They're not actually massive stories really, they're not going to get the back page of any newspapers um, So there's no reason not to be a bit more uh, open about them from World Snooker Tours point of view And the other thing is, that the snooker world is really sh- sort of small, everyone kind of knows everyone they're quite easy to find these things out This is not a Woodward-Bernstein story you know. It's not, it's not that hard to find out what's going on Because someone will tell you And you, you find out So it is better just to be up front It's not really damaging the sport These are not big names I mean, no disrespect to either of them But they're not It's not like Ronnie O'Sullivan and John Higgins are in trouble You know, Jamie O'Neill and Peter Lyons As I say, are not gonna, they're not going to be holding the back page Because they might have done things they shouldn't have done um, I'm all for tr- transparency, Absolutely um, I think it's much healthier than keeping secrets. And like you say, you know, I'm sure there aren't that many other things that we don't know. But if a couple of things they're not open about, then it leads people to think, well, maybe they are covering up bigger things. I suspect they're not. I mean, they list they put out that list of disciplinary uh, cases recently, and they were all pretty small beer. Really, it was all just things like wearing the wrong logo and you know the odd bit of inappropriate behaviour. But it was nothing earth shattering, not cheating or anything. So. Yeah, I, I think uh, the, the the problem is, I think, that Wilson Couture obviously are conscious of the fact that they are trying to promote a positive image of the sport. And these sort of stories are not that positive. And I understand that. But I think when things happen, they have to be more on the front foot. I'll give you an example. Anthony Hamilton... Um, at the World Championship remember last year he qualified and then because of the Covid rules he didn't want to play so he withdrew now Barry Hearn we found this out because Barry Hearn went on Talk Sport the day before the tournament and he sort of announced it himself uh, it wasn't a proper sort of press release but the point is the cat was out of the back Wilson Snooker got loads of calls from journalists what's going on what's going on Barry says Hamilton's out what's your response there was no response for about five hours there was a press release put out eventually but Was kind of nothing said, nothing on social media. It's not good enough in this 24 hour media age. You've got to get in front of the story. Even if Barry shouldn't have said it, he did say it. So you react to that. You don't sort of, you know, go through the proper channels and all the rest of it. You put something on Twitter, you say, we can confirm Anthony Hamilton has withdrawn. There'll be a full statement in due course. You get in front of things. So things like that, I think um, they need to be more on the front foot and they need to be more transparent. I absolutely agree. But I do also think that um, when it comes to promoting the sport They do a good job actually you know, I think they've done a lot of good stuff on the website Particularly in the last few weeks where there's been nothing happening They've done some really good interviews with players um, They did Higgins and Trump video interviews But lots of other written interviews as well That have been really useful actually um, Finding out what people are thinking, what people are doing um, So yeah, it's not. I'm not I'm not bashing them But I just think, yeah, we, we want openness uh, I did say I hadn't planned this But this, that's what I think anyway Right, what, what else shall we look at here Ryan Freeman Hi Dave, I was just wondering Have you ever been approached to do commentary on other sports Other than snooker? If so, which ones? And were you ever, t- were you ever tempted to do them? Or are you just a loyal snooker man? I did tennis actually once uh, <laughs> I did a tennis tournament Which apparently was on South African television um, All I'll say is I've never been invited to South Africa So that probably explains How that went down I'm lucky that there's so much snooker, is the truth. There's uh I worked out hundred and seventy-nine days of snooker on television this season and I'm very, very fortunate to have been asked to do every day of it. So, you know, that's a lot, it's half the year. Um I've also done various other cue sports. I used to do the uh three cushion billiards on Eurosport Two, which I'm hoping is gonna come back because it's a terrific uh sport that I've done pool. I've done Russian, <laughs> Russian Pyramids, which was quite an experience. That's, that's a brutal old game, Have you ever seen that. Um, I think there's two types of sports commentator, Ryan, to answer your question. There's specialists and there's all-rounders. And I really respect the all-rounders. They'll turn the hand to anything. Think of people like Barry Davis, he, he, one of the great legends of BBC Sport. He was known as a football commentator, but he would do ice skating, gymnastics. He did the boat race. He did all sorts of other sports as well. When the Olympics came round, he'd do the hockey, um, you know, uh, and and would do them all really well. And there's other people like that now. Andrew Cotter is uh, probably his successor, really, at the BBC. He can turn his hand to pretty much anything. Actually, they both, over the years, have done Wimbledon as well, tennis. Um, And at Eurosport, there's lots of, commentators who, who will work across different sports there's a guy there Simon Golding who, who I know well he's done over 50 sports uh, at Eurosport you know all sorts of niche stuff i mean he's from a volleyball background but he's done all sorts of niche stuff really respect those guys because they've got to be across all different sort of sports do all different sorts of research there are transferable skills there are certain skills you can take into every sport but every sport is different and You know, you if obviously if you haven't done your research, you'll be found out. And I would never want to be in a position where I'm trying to just blag it. Um, You know, I get sent off to a rugby league match at sport. I know nothing about. I could probably bring certain skills to it, but I'd be found out eventually. Uh, My lack of knowledge will be found out. So I'm quite, as I say, I'm lucky that there's so much snooker. I'm quite happy to to be a specialist rather than an all rounder. Obviously, it'd be different if uh, if there was less snooker. There's been a couple of times where uh, I had a couple of opportunities to do other things and they, they just clashed with the snooker. But I'm very happy uh, at the moment with, uh, with what I'm doing. Uh, Malcolm Johnston, he says, uh, With the season kicking in with a vengeance in Northern Ireland, the coverage of Eurosport was making a big deal of players to watch, players to beat, who would be the world champion and so on. A thought crossed my mind, most pundits went with the usual suspects, but after Mark Selby's stellar performances of last season, he's pushed himself back into contention to have all his matches on the TV table. This surely must be a massive advantage, like O'Sullivan and Trump, who only ever play on the ultra-fast main table. I'm sure World Snooker don't purposely set out to give these players an advantage, but isn't it a self-fulfilling prophecy that the chosen players that get on the main table, match after match, must surely have had a slight head start against the other 120-odd players on tour. It seems Selby as world well, champion has pushed Kyron Wilson out into the outside tables, with the main table seemingly booked for Trump, Sullivan, Selby and Robertson. Yeah, it's a fair point. At uh, this event, obviously, Mark Allen as well, because he's uh, from Northern Ireland. One thing I would say, though, Malcolm, in this tournament, it's not as significant because... It's There's three tables in a row so it's not like there's one glamour table somewhere and then cubicles in a horrible pl- spot round the back um, In the previous years in this tournament there's been a separate room actually uh, where there's been tables and then the main arena that we're watching now This arena you've got a crowd and you've got three tables so that's more of a leveller The main table obviously has the camera operators around it which sort of illustrates that it is the main table. And that certainly does add pressure. Um, and obviously, if you play on the same table, match after match, you get used to how it's running, you get used to the conditions. So it is an advantage. Of course, it's an advantage they've earned. You know, Ronnie O'Sullivan, Judd Trump, Mark Selby, Dil Robertson, John Higgins, You know, these great players, they're the top players because they're the best players. So they've earned the right to play there, just as a, a Federer or a Nadal or a Serena Williams at Wimbledon. Pretty much always going to play on centre court. I'm sure Emma Raducanu, when it comes around next year, will be on centre court. Quite rightly, they've earned the right by what they've won. But I think it's more significant in some other tournaments where the outside tables really are the outside tables. Um, but in terms of is will it be a self-fulfilling prophecy? I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, in Milton Keynes, where Judd Trump last season had a lot of success, you know, he was pretty much virtually every match on the same table. So you get used to the surroundings. You get used to the setup. But he was, well, number one, that's why he was there And no reason why he shouldn't be there These are the players that people want to watch Yeah, we were asked, we we did a preview programme on Eurosport on Sunday Three questions uh, Who's the player to beat this season? I went for Trump, I mean, that's not sticking your neck out I just think it makes sense after the run has been on Which shown, shows no sign of setting up A player down the rankings to look out for I said Luca Brassell, and it sounds like cheating Because of course he's already won a ranking event But he's 44 in the world, Luca Brassell just feel i can't see him falling any lower than that i think he can only go up and i think he's you know a player who's been in the top 16 and, and and won a tournament and can definitely claw his way back up with one good week maybe it'll be this week as we record this he's still in the event and world champion it's very hard to say you know we're in october you just you just pulling a name out out of, out of the air but i decided to go for a new winner and i thought well who's the most likely new winner and to me, it's it's got to be Kyron Wilson. You know, he's been runner-up, semi-finalist a couple of times. He's a player who he's made for the Crucible, I think. He's a player who's always looking to improve. And if he can win a couple of tournaments on the way there this season, then maybe that will instil him with the confidence. Of course, he had that uh, real setback against Sean Murphy who turned their semi-final around uh, last season. But anyway, for what it's worth, those are the players uh, that I went to. I'm pretty sure that programme is still available uh, on demand if you want to have a look at it. Neil Caesar let's see uh if uh, we were hail caesar and I'm sure Neil hasn't heard that joke before. Um, he's short and to the point this. I like Neil's style. He just gets straight into it. He says so Joe Perry is the latest professional to whinge Message to all players, nobody's forcing you to be a snooker player. <laughs> well, this was an interview uh, Joe did uh in the on Metro online. Before I get into that, actually, I want to say this. It's been a fallow period for snooker, a few qualifiers, no tournaments for the last seven weeks. But there's actually been a lot of good coverage online. A lot of it actually has been about things that, that's been in other snooker podcasts, which shows the worth of podcasting. But it's worth mentioning uh, some really good sources, uh, three real good sources of snooker stories in recent times. The Eurosport website, a lot of original content on there, interviews and features. Uh, Metro Online Phil Hague of course Fighting the good fight there And we'll come on to his interview With Joe Perry in a moment Excellent stuff on there And um, also the World Snooker Tour website As I said earlier They've had some really good stuff on there As they should do I mean they're, they're you know, promoting the tour But even so th- Those three websites Have really done well in the, In this sort of fallow period The one that hasn't Is the BBC website Until last weekend Just as a preview of this event the previous snooker story had been September the first, so it had been five weeks. Not a word written on snooker that was previewing Trump being in the pool, US Open pool. They didn't put any report up about how he did there or anything else that happened since. And then their report on Sunday uh, in Belfast, they they put a report up which cont- I read it. It contained six mistakes that I spotted. Six mistakes. There was uh, They got the score wrong twice in Mark Selby's match against Mark Lloyd They had win him winning 4-0 and 4-2 It was actually 4-1 They got the Stephen Maguire score wrong They said he won 4-3, it was 4-2 They got the, Judge Trump's ranking wrong They got Mark Selby's ranking wrong And they said that Jordan Brown had been beaten by Gary Brown When of course it was Gary Wilson So <laughs> it doesn't exactly tell you that the BBC website sees snooker as much of, of a priority Of course they will do when the UK Championship comes around. They'll all be singing and dancing But, you know, it's not actually just about those three tournaments You know, it's a, it's a sport website Which is publicly funded And they do a lot of great stuff on other sports But maybe they need to look at the snooker coverage a bit more Because it's been changed now, that report Because I know Will Snooker contacted them about it But there was six mistakes We all make mistakes I make plenty But six in one report That's a lot, really Anyway, I just wanted to mention that But, um, yeah, the, Joe Perry... Well, he did a, an interview, as I say, with Phil on the Metro online. I've got to be honest, I didn't think he was whinging. Um, I, I don't agree with that. He, Joe is a very interesting person to talk to, actually. He's a senior professional now. You know, he's been around well, nearly 30 years on tour. Been in the top 16, won a ranking event, Masters finalist, uh, semi-finalist at the Crucible. Well respected by the other players. You know, not a troublemaker by any means. Got some good ideas. And he expressed them. Now... Obviously, I don't know what questions he was asked, but if he was asked, Joe, you know, are there any things you think in Snooker need to be changed?" Then he's entitled to say what they are. He talked about the ranking system. I did a whole podcast on the ranking system, um and I think there are arguments to change it. He talked about various other things as well um he made a very good point actually on the John Virgo thing about the value of a lead commentator. He made the point about Jack Lazowski, of course was well-received, actually, by BBC viewers when he made his debut last season at the Crucible. But he made the point that um, Jack was put in the box first with Alan McManus. Now, Alan is a fantastic broadcaster, full stop. Alan is one of the best in any sport, never mind just snooker. And the point Joe was making was, because he was put in with someone who understands how broadcasting works, it was a better listen because Alan was able to bring him in, he was able to guide him. And Joe was saying maybe with some of the other commentators it wouldn't have gone so well. So that's quite a perceptive comment, I think. The other points he made, you can agree or disagree with them, but to me, it didn't come across as whinging so much as just he was asked questions and he gave answers, and I don't see anything wrong with that. However, <laughs> it's interesting, since, Neil, you sent this email, I spoke uh, last night, actually, Ronnie O'Sullivan was in the USport studio saying that he thought there was an atmosphere uh, in Belfast and it was all a bit flat and so on. And uh, I was rung up by someone well-known, let's just put it that way, in the snooker world, who was pretty incandescent, not not just with Ronnie, but he said, Ev- it seems to me now every time you read a snooker player interview or you see them on the telly, they're complaining about something. He said, why are they moaning about everything? And while I don't completely agree with that, I kind of understand where he's coming from. Because it's certainly true that there are now... A lot of sort of little niggling complaints here and there about things, which when you stack them up one after the other, it does look like, you know, to the outside, that snooker's got problems and you know the players aren't happy and they're complaining about everything. They're not complaining about everything, but there's sort of been maybe because there's been so much downtime. I think that's what's been one of the reasons. There's been a sort of series of little complaints here and there about things, um, some of which maybe are. Um, valid and some of which maybe are not. Ronnie Sullivan complained about the atmosphere. He's entitled to his opinion, of course, but the atmosphere was better than this tournament last year when there was no crowd. I mean, the good people of Belfast turned up and they watched and they applauded. Um, it's not a huge arena or all the, the part where the seating is at the moment isn't, but um, as I say, last year he was, he was complaining it was like being in prison at Milton Keynes. Surely it's better in a great city like Belfast, in a great venue. Like the waterfront hall. The one that struck me though was Stuart Carrington, again in the metro. That was, I thought, actually was whinging. Um, There seemed to be a lot of small, quite meaningless complaints in that. One was that he he felt uh, there shouldn't be qualifying, the qualifying round shouldn't be held over to Belfast, it should be in Barnsley. Well, it wasn't in Barnsley for obvious reasons. The top 16 sell tickets, they have to be at the venue. Now, you can argue there shouldn't be qualifying at all. And everyone should go to the venue as they have in previous years. That's perfectly valid if you think that. But quite obviously, the top sixteen have to be at that venue. They can't be going to Barnsley and you risk losing the ticket sellers. And he's also talking about, oh, you know, it's going to cost me more money to go there, it's going to cost me more than it would to Barnsley. Well surely the attitude has got to be, I've got a chance to win 70 grand this week. That's got to be the attitude, hasn't it? That's that's you know, you've got to look at the opportunity rather than what it's gonna cost you. He wanted to be paid in the first round. Again, that's a valid um, argument. There's for and against. We've heard lots of arguments for and against prize money in the first round. But at the end of the day, he went there and he lost four nil in 52 minutes with a highest break of 15. How much money does he think he deserves for that? Surely there has to be. It has to be linked to the contribution you make as well. It can't just be taking money out of it, out of the sport. It's got to be actually contributing something as well. So here's my idea. I was thinking about this. Here's my idea for prize money in the first round. You get. £100 for every frame you win So if you lose 4-0 You get nothing If you lose 4-1 you get £100 Lose 4-2 you get £200 4-3, £300 So you're getting some money if you're winning frames Therefore you can lose and still get money But if you lose 4-0 in an hour As he did, you don't get anything Now, I can already hear people saying There's 20 reasons why this wouldn't work One of them is obviously, you know, it's a pretty simple one The prize fund you budget for that tournament and you don't know how many frames people are going to win in the first round, so you can't precisely budget it. But it may be worth exploring. It would mean that someone who's maybe made two centuries and lost 4-3 has still got £300 out of the match, but someone who's turned up and has you know not been able to do anything and that happens doesn't get any money and maybe they don't deserve any rather than you know you hear listen to some people talk about this it's almost like they think snooker's a charity rather than an elite sport it's not you know you have to earn the money now some people would argue the very um fact that you're a professional you deserve something that's a valid argument i'm not not saying i disagree with it but i think there's a sort of culture of people feeling they should just be sort of given money whatever happens maybe it should be more linked to performance so, that's my idea. £100 a frame in the first round. If you lose 4-3, you're coming away with 300. If you lose 4-0, you're coming away with nothing. In terms of players whinging, I mean, you know, we had, obviously, uh, Neil Robertson talking about cutting the length of the World Championship, Judge Trump leaving the Crucible. But it's worth saying, you know, these are top players. They I didn't agree with either, but... They gave their time. I mean, Neil Robertson was on Talking Balls podcast for the best part of two hours, you know, of his own time, giving his opinions on the sport, spoke about a lot more than just that. And you have to respect him and, and what he's done in the game. And Judd as well. I, and I, I'm going to actually defend Judd. I, I don't think he's a moaner at all. I think actually what he's looking at is making the sport much bigger. I think he sees snooker, actually, the potential of snooker. I think he wants snooker to be much bigger than it is. And I think that that's worth supporting, even if you don't necessarily agree with everything he says, and I don't agree with leaving the crucible, at least he's thinking big. That's actually the opposite of moaning. Um, but <laughs> some of the smaller complaints, they can be quite annoying, you know, and, and it's all so contradictory as well. You know, the, the formats are too short, but then apparently the World Championship format is too long. The venue's too big, the venue's too small. There aren't enough torments. There are too many torments packed together. And so on and so on and so on. It's like, <laughs> you know, the the atmosphere's no good, but it was no good last year when there were no crowds. Um, when did everyone decide to decide that the glass was half empty? I mean people have got short memories, haven't they? Last season, you know, might not have happened at all. Will Stuka tour and Match and pulled up trees to get those torments on. How about a bit of gratitude and smell the roses? We're back on the tour, I'm back on the road, sorry. You know, we're visiting venues again. Maybe try and be a bit more positive about the sport in some of these interviews. Obviously, they're being asked questions. I'm not I'm not having to go at the journalist because I am one. And, you know, it's perfectly valid to, to say to a player, do you, you know, do you think things could improve? How could they improve? And people reading that story might think, oh, they're moaning. Well, they're not. They're answering a question. But it, it will be good to... Pick the sport up a little bit as well, rather than just pick out small things to complain about. Um, some people see it as whinging. Some people see it as constructive criticism. I wonder how much the outside world cares actually um, about all this. Snooker people in the bubble maybe do, but I think on the outside people are much more interested in the matches. And when Ronnie sort of complains about things, you know, we've been hearing it for so many years. I- I'm not sure people. I'm not sure people take it that seriously now. Um, whether he's right or not, that's he almost seems irrelevant. It's just that we've heard it so many times from him, and he could go in the next day and say this is the best venue on the circuit. You, you know, you just don't know. Um, one thing I'll say: though I defend the right for players to to say whatever is on their mind. That's that's fine, um, and people are free to agree or disagree. It's good that they're accessible. It's good to hear from the players what they think. Um, but players also tend to. Basically, see things from a player's perspective rather than from outside, from a commercial perspective. They don't see sort of every side of the triangle, if you like. They see it from a player's perspective, and very often it's from where they are in the rankings. So, for example, if you're the world number 70, then you probably don't think that the Kuzov should be at 64 for the tour. It should be, I don't know, 80. If you're in the top 16, you probably think a lot of them don't think the top 16 should come in. The round around one they should be seeded through etc etc Wherever you are you see it from your point of view That's kind of human nature um, We all do it in every job And listen in the media we're, we're, <laughs> we're almost professional moaners But I think the other thing to say is When you go to a tournament What I've found is it's actually not like that It's actually people are not that negative um, People You know you can talk to people and people are happy to be there And actually usually quite upbeat But I don't know, for some reason, it's just been recently maybe because there hasn't been much snooker being played. Players have kind of have started to dwell on maybe the things that they feel are not so good in the sport rather than the things that are. And I think we should maybe have a bit more kind of, well, as I say, gratitude. I'm, listen, I'm really grateful to be back on the snooker tour after a very difficult yeah, you know, it's, um, it's great to have the tournaments back. I think as we get into the swing of the season, we'll probably have less of this. We'll just have more concentration on what's actually happening on the table. Now, Matt Tarrant uh, from Derby, of course, um, he's a regular correspondent. He, was, uh, he enjoyed the Dave Tyndall episode as well. He said he made me laugh a couple of times. His left-handed stats are proper niche. So it's good to have a different view on the Crucible, one which I agree with. Well you're on your own there I didn't agree (laughs) Anyway um, He says at one point He said he liked people That think about formats Well at the risk of opening up An old line of discussion I'd like to know What he thinks of Neil Folds' Proposed doubles singles tournament It was pretty much scoffed at From day one as a joke Well that's how I remember it Uh, Apologies if this is incorrect But I think Neil May have been serious And I love the idea Final is a singles match Between the doubles team That won the semi Yeah this was um, This was Neil Folds' idea uh, That you have the doubles tournament but then the the doubles pairing play each other for the title which is i don't know it, it it's not the worst idea ever certainly um it was kind of scoffed at in a way i know and maybe maybe it should be looked at again um, of course the old world doubles you know they 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 play it was doubles they didn't then play each other it seems a bit cutthroat when you when you partner someone um in an event to suddenly then you sort of turn on each other at the end but that doesn't mean it wouldn't be interesting to watch um he said, uh, "Matt says it will be similar to cycling when a breakaway has to work together to create a winning chance, and then stitch each other up as the finish approaches to claim the win." Well, uh, you know, the the, the idea is on the table. I do know Neil has. I think he said it to Barry, and Barry <laughs> Barry gave it quite uh, quite short shrift. So um, we'll see. It, it's there, and uh, as far as I know, he's not uh, he's not copyrighted it. Um, just realised actually Neil Caesar sent another email just today. He said, uh so I was watching the Mark Williams Elliott Slesser match on the Eurosport app, and at the end of every frame, Slesser left the table and kept his opponent waiting. I've noticed this on a number of occasions where this has happened with other matches. Is there any rule concern in this? Um again, it's discretion of the referee. Uh, the referee can If they feel a player... And this happens a lot, actually. A lot of players, I think, as a release of tension more than anything. I mean, sometimes you've got to go to the toilet. But often it's a release of tension. They uh, they leave the arena. If a referee thinks it's happening too much or they're taking too long, then um, they can say something. There is a specific problem at the waterfront, though. It's a bit of a sort of rabbit warren backstage. And so many players have got lost. Honestly, I've got lost backstage there in Belfast. It's... uh, It's... (laughs) Sort of place, if you take the wrong turning It's like sort of Hampton Court maze You don't know really don't really know where you are So um, I, I didn't see that specific match But it may be a couple of times Literally the players have just got lost I mean there's been matches where you've been waiting five minutes For someone to come back before they've Sort of finally found the way and It actually may be even worse now Because of course with Covid There's certain one-way systems and so on You've got to follow certain uh, other procedures as well I've had an email from Ben Hubbard Which is quite long And uh, Ben uh, is uh, part of an organisation Called the University's Pool Council Who organise amateur cue sports For higher education students In the UK Raises a lot of interesting points I'll be in contact Ben Because I'd like to discuss this uh, further But I just wanted to acknowledge the, the email that you sent in Thank you very much for that Yeah, it's, um, we sort of forget almost You know, the, there's, there's so much action Taking place in different levels And different parts of you know the world, and the universities, are, of course, back now for a new term. That's uh, always been a bit of a hotbed of uh, of Q sports as well. I'm going to have to leave it there because I've got to go back and commentate now <laughs> on uh, the evening session. Uh, it's been a rather rambling episode, um, but uh, you know we're in the thick of a tournament. Um, I, there was an extraordinary review actually of the, of the podcast by by, so, by some dim bulb on online who uh, who said it was first he said it was the worst podcast he'd ever heard. To which the question is Why are you keeping listening And then he said Oh they're so lazy They said he, he said during the World Championship They couldn't be bothered to do one every day Well I was commentating Basically 10 hours a day for Eurosport So uh, forgive me for not You know Finding half an hour of my free time To do a podcast that you hate <laughs> I mean yeah Great logic by the way there um, But anyway On that rather sound note We're going to end But uh, do keep your, uh, your comments coming in Obviously the Northern Ireland Open Is going to continue We'll be looking back on it next week um, with with a guest yet to be uh, yet to be well yet to be asked <laughs> or, or thought about. Um, SnookerScenePodcast at mail dot com. That's SnookerScenePodcast at mail dot com. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's shaping up to be an interesting week. I mean, at the moment, the big hitters, as I record this, are all still going, and you kind of feel one of them's going to win it again. And Trump and O'Sullivan are in opposite halves. I mean, they played three finals in a row. Judds won them all nine seven. Uh, I mean if if that happened again it's already amazing it's happened 3 times but if it happened again well that would be uh, mind-blowing stuff anyway uh, I need to rest my voice for a few minutes before uh, tonight's uh, action but uh, thank you for all the comments and uh, we'll be back hopefully next week Sports Social Podcast Network
1: It is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper